theme today, as we look at Genesis 12, verses 10 to 20, our theme is when faith falters. When faith falters. Well, perhaps you've heard people use the phrase, warts and all. And maybe you've wondered where that phrase comes from, warts and all. Well, it goes all the way back to Oliver Cromwell in the 1600s. Cromwell was about to have his portrait painted by an artist, a man called Sir Peter uh, Lely or Lely. And Cromwell told his uh, artist to paint him warts and all. In other words, don't try to make me look any better than I am. This picture should, should show people what I'm really like, warts and all. Well, in our culture, people often have the opposite approach. They would prefer to digitally remove the warts or whatever other blemishes, uh, the things about us that we don't like. Um, we're concerned that people would see the best of us. And we see this in social media and in other places, people putting up the best possible pictures of ourselves and wanting people to think well of us and so forth. Politicians and celebrity athletes or music artists or whoever it is, uh, they don't want anything to ruin their image, their reputation. People are therefore often disappointed when some hero is shown to have made a mistake, when they falter in some way. But when it comes to the Bible and some of the heroes of the Christian faith that we read about in the Bible, the Bible is very much a warts and all book. God has given us his word and he knows that we gain far more by seeing the mistakes, the, the feelings of the ordinary men and women like us who lived lives of faith. As we began studying Abraham's life last week, I emphasize to you that Abraham was a man of faith. That's our theme for the series, our father in the faith if we're Christians. He's also a towering figure in world history. His impact and legacy are felt all around the world to this day. But that doesn't mean that he was a perfect man. And how thankful we should be to know that. That Abraham wasn't some sort of superhero, some kind of elite level Christian. He was an ordinary man of faith. And a man whose faith sometimes faltered. And that's what we see in this passage today. A time in Abram's life when his faith faltered. And this incident isn't here to just make us feel better about the fact that perhaps at times our faith has faltered. It's here to show us that when faith falters, God remains faithful. When faith falters, God remains faithful. And what a comfort that should be to us today. We do falter in our faith. We are warts and all Christians. But as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. And so we want to work our way through this incident recorded for us in Genesis 12, verses 10 to 20, Abram going down to Egypt I want to, think, want to see firstly today that when our problems mount, our faith may falter. It's when our problems mount that our faith may falter. Look at Genesis 12, verse 10. Moses says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So it's emphasized to us, not only was there a famine, but there is a severe famine. 
And we'll think more in a moment about the serious mistakes that Abram makes in this moment in his life. But first we need to recognize that he faced a serious problem. Faced a very serious problem. There is no food in Canaan. No food. And if you put yourself in Abram's shoes, you soon realize that this would have been a shocking problem for him to experience for two reasons. Firstly, because Abraham had spent his life up until now in a land that rarely, if ever, would have experienced famine. Uh, I mentioned to you last week how Abram came from the land of Ur. And I explained how Ur was actually a very modern city. It was a wealthy, prosperous city in the east. And part of the reason it was so prosperous was because it was situated in very fertile land. There was good rainfall, there was good sunshine, uh, it had plenty of food and drink to harvest. By contrast, Canaan, Abram's new home, was much more prone to these kinds of barren weeks and months. Long periods of little to no rain, making food shortages more common, the threat of harvest not being so good. So quite possibly, friends, famine was an entirely new experience, a new problem for Abram to deal with. The second reason this famine would have been such a shock for Abram was because it doesn't seem to fit with what God had promised him. Abram is only in Canaan, as we saw last week, because God told him to go to Canaan. And Abram, out of faith, and we thought about the great obedience that he showed last week, he has obeyed God's call. He's traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles. He's left his father and the rest of his family behind. And the security that would have come where he was and who he was with in the past. He's left all of that behind to come and live in a land he knew nothing about. In a land that he can't legally lay claim to because the Canaanites and the other pagans already live there. But he has come because God told him to. And because God promised him that in this land he would be blessed. Genesis 12 verse 2. God said to Abram, I will bless you. And make your name great. And at least part of what that word blessing means. Particularly in the Old Testament era. Was material blessing. That you'll be fed. You'll be watered. You'll be clothed. You'll have what you need. And yet no sooner have we read of God calling Abram. And promising to bless Abram. Than Abram is facing problems. In fact, friends, we could even say Abram is only facing this problem because he has been obedient to God. He's only facing this problem because he's been obedient to God. We're not told that anywhere else had a famine, but the land that God had told Abram to go to had a famine. And perhaps Abram was wondering, why? Why is this the case? Why would God allow this to happen? Why would he call me here only for the land to produce no food? How am I going to be a blessing to anyone else when I don't even have food for myself? How am I going to produce offspring if I can't even eat? Ralph Davis says, sometimes God makes promises and they suddenly seem fragile. They suddenly seem fragile. And shouldn't we acknowledge, friends, that sometimes this is exactly how we feel in our journey of faith, isn't it? By God's grace, perhaps you've obeyed his calling in your life. The calling to 
become a Christian. A calling to a marriage. A calling to parenthood. A calling to be part of a particular church or to try and minister to or help a particular person. And yet, in obeying that call, it's led to problems. Think of a new Christian, for example. Think of, they, they have a newfound sense of joy and hope. Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I have heaven to look forward to. And then they tell their family they've become a Christian. And their family hates them for it. They want nothing more to do with them. At best they think they've just gone a bit weird. At worst they think they're deluded. In some parts of the world today, if you became a Christian, your family will hold your funeral and treat you as though you're dead. Where a Christian takes to heart God's commandment regarding observance of the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, they see the blessings and the promises attached to keeping the Sabbath holy, rest and the joy of fellowship with other believers and the opportunity to minister to others who are in need and the importance of public worship. And so they tell a prospective employer in an interview, I'll not be able to work on Sundays. I'll work any other time, any other day, but I, I cannot work on Sunday. And the employer says, well, then there's no job for you here. Or they're already in employment and the employer treats them unfairly in, insofar as they're able and without breaking any laws. Or they, the Christian realizes that it's because of the Christian convictions that I've taken over my attitude to my work that I'm, I'm facing these problems and perhaps even facing unemployment. A young Christian at school, boys and girls, obeys God's call and so doesn't go to the places or take part in some of the group chats or send pictures on some of the social media platforms because they know that some of what goes on in those places or on those platforms doesn't glorify God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says... Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't just go along with everything unbelievers are saying or doing. What fellowship has light with darkness? And so that young person stays away from those places or those chat groups. But then they find themselves left out, ignored. People sniggering and laughing because you're not part of the jokes. Christian parent seeks to obey God's call to teach and disciple their children in a godly way. They pray for them, they love them, they provide for them. But a child or children remain unresponsive to the gospel or unwilling to submit. A Christian family leaves everything to serve God in the place he calls them to go. Different church or even to become missionaries to go overseas hundreds of thousands of miles away from home. And they don't see much fruit and they receive very little encouragement and they're just left feeling very alone. And in any of those scenarios and in many more like them, friends, the thought could be, but I've obeyed God. I've done what he told me to do. I've made sacrifices. And yet I face nothing but problems. Friends, the way of obedience is ultimately, eternally the way of blessing. But it is also the way of difficulty. And our Lord Jesus didn't hide this from us. He said, in the world you will have tribulation or many troubles. Christians 
get depressed too. Christians get discouraged too. Sometimes we wonder even if we can keep going. We face different types of famine perhaps from what Abram faced. But we do face famines. Sometimes suddenly our problems seem so big. And our God and his promises seem so small. And we need to be ready for those times friends. For those problems. Because often that's when our faith falters. And that's what we see happen with Abram. And so we consider secondly today that. When we become our own saviours, our faith has faltered. When we become our own saviours, our faith has faltered. Abram faces this very difficult problem. How does he try to handle it? Well, he tries to become his own saviour. Look what I mean by that. If you look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. He went down to Egypt. And the word sojourn could mean that he spent quite a bit of time there. He, in a sense, settled there, if not permanently, then for the near future. And that is where Abram's problems all begin, with his decision to go down to Egypt. And sometimes in the Old Testament, friends, those words, so-and-so went down, It doesn't just mean the direction physically that they went in, that Abram literally had to travel south. So you could say he went down the way we might say we go down to Dublin. There's nothing sinful necessarily about going down south. But sometimes in the Old Testament, those words are used and they describe the spiritual direction of travel as well as the physical. Jonah, for example, we're told went twice, it says in Jonah chapter one, he went down Uh, to Joppa and he went down into the ship to go to Tarshish away from the Lord and there are other instances of that as well in the Old Testament now we might have some sympathy for Abram we might think but there's famine in the land he needs to find food well friends could God not have provided for Abram even in the midst of famine in Canaan As we'll see in a moment, God intervened and did supernatural things to protect Abram once he was in Egypt and once he'd made a mess of things. Could he not have done supernatural things to provide for him in Canaan? Think of Elijah years later at the brook. God brings him food via the ravens. Could God not have protected Abram and provided for him in Canaan? But what happens is Abram thinks he will be his own saviour and so he comes up with a plan to save himself. Some of you maybe remember the old BBC comedy series Blackadder. Uh, Rowan Atkinson was in it, the the Mr Bean actor. And there was a character in Blackadder called Baldrick, uh, played by Tony Robinson. And in almost every episode, at some point, Baldrick would announce that he had a cunning plan. I have a cunning plan. It was never a cunning plan. And it was always a mess when Baldrick tried to put in motion a cunning plan. And Abram, as he goes down to Egypt, thinks he has a cunning plan. Look what he says in verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. This is one of the telltale signs that our faith may be faltering, that we've become our own saviours, friends, that we think we know the future. 
the late Ed Welch, who was a Christian counsellor, he, he wrote a book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry and the God of Rest. Well worth reading. And in that book, he says that when we give in to worry and fear, we see the future in gory detail, or at least we think we do. We think we know how everything's going to turn out, and we think it's going to be the worst case scenario. That person will leave me. That person will let me down. Those people will reject me. I won't get this job. And so we think we need to save ourselves. Abram thinks he knows the future. He thinks that he's going to get killed when he goes into Egypt because of his beautiful wife, Sarai. And therefore, he thinks that lying about his relationship to Sarai is his only way to save himself. Now, of course, what makes this even more cringeworthy is that Abram doesn't seem particularly bothered about what happens to Sarai if and when she becomes someone else's wife, uh, if someone takes her home with him. He doesn't seem to worry about her. He's just thinking about himself here. Now, of course, part of what Abram was worried about does happen. If you look at verses 14 to 16, the Egyptians do see Sarai. They see that she is beautiful. They immediately tell Pharaoh, here's another one for your harem, a beautiful foreign woman for you to enjoy. And so we might think, well, Abram was right to be worried about this situation. But again, you see, in trying to become his own saviour, Abram's ignored or forgotten God's promises. Look at chapter 12, verse 3, back at the promises God made. God said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you, I will curse. In other words, Abram, if anyone messes with you or with your family, they'll have me to answer to. I'll deal with them. But Abram has ignored or forgotten God's promise. And his cunning plan soon blows up in his face. Abram goes along with this notion that this, uh, this lie that he is Sarai's brother. In that culture, if someone wanted to marry uh, a woman, uh, he would have had to get permission, of course, from uh, the, the head of the household, be it her, her father or her brother. They would have had to barter with the father or the brother uh, to negotiate. What are you going to give me if I give you my, my, my daughter or my sister to be your wife? And so some commentators suggest that perhaps what Abram was doing here was he was thinking, well, if we end up getting into negotiations, I'll just draw the negotiations out. I'll just keep stalling the negotiation for someone to take Sarai as their wife. And eventually, when it's time to leave Egypt, we'll just call off the negotiations altogether. The problem is that the person who's interested in Sarai is Pharaoh, the king of the land, a man who can throw... Endless wealth at Abraham. There's, there's no price too high if he decides he wants Sarai. He can give Abram as much as he wants. And so Abram can't say no to Pharaoh. And in exchange for his wife, Pharaoh loads Abram up with sheep and oxen and donkeys and servants, even camels. Uh, a lot of commentators suggest that camels would have been a, a rare luxury at this time in history. Uh, they were, they were only, only wealthy people would have had camels. This is like getting a fleet of sports cars uh, thrown into the bargain which sounds great except that Abram's wife is now in Pharaoh's house the woman God has given him as his life partner through him through him the offspring of Abram is going to come she's now under the roof of another man 
Just look at Genesis 12, verse 15. When the princes of Pharaoh saw Sarai, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. That is a loaded phrase in the original. She was taken into Pharaoh's house. That is potentially catastrophic for the promises that God has made to Abram. God promised Abram land. Abram's left the land. God promised Abram offspring. His wife, through whom that offspring is to come, is now taken by another man. God's promised Abram blessing and protection. Abram has instead tried to protect himself and he has swindled the foreigner into blessing him instead. Abram is risking everything that God has promised him. Friends, whose voice do we listen to most when we face a famine? When our problems mount, do we listen to ourselves or do we listen to God? David says God's promises must be rubbed into our fearful circumstances. Abram didn't do that. If God's promises were the salt that needed rubbed into his life, he left the salt shaker in the cupboard. Abram, in his actions, if not with his words, is saying, I have no God to help me. No God who can protect me, so I'll have to save myself. Psalm 14 says that's the definition of foolishness. Acting as though there is no God to trust in, no God to answer to. Dear friend, is that how you have been living recently? Or even for a long time? When our problems mount, we sometimes develop this attitude that we're the exception to the rule. I know what God's word says about this, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. I know what you were preaching about there on Sunday morning, but it's Tuesday afternoon now. And if you knew my situation, you'd understand. You'd understand why I just can't forgive this person. Or why I've, I've had to work on Sundays. Or why I'm so anxious about my children. Or why I've started a relationship with someone who is not my husband or my wife. If we're coming up with cunning plans instead of trusting in God's promises, friends. If we've tried to become our own saviors, our faith has faltered. I'll just work hard. I'll just figure it out. I'll look after myself. I'll be my own saviour. And the consequences of that, friends, could be severe as they could well have been for Abram. Broken relationships, insecurity, a compromised Christian witness, all because we didn't trust in the promises of God. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. We've seen that when our problems mount, our faith may falter. We've seen that when we become our own saviours, our faith has faltered. But lastly today, we see that when our faith falters, God remains faithful. When our faith falters, God remains faithful. Abram's cunning plan has landed him with plenty of camels, plenty of other great loot. But his wife is in another man's house. The whole program of blessing that God promised is now in jeopardy. Abraham has messed up big time. And you might think that would be it for him. But then comes verse 17. 
but the Lord. Oftentimes in scripture we see those words, but the Lord and God intervenes and God is gracious and mighty to save. It's the covenant name of God that's used there. The block capitals, Lord or Jehovah. It's Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God who keeps his promises. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Why? Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Notice how Sarai is described in these verses. Verses 18, 19 and 20. Your wife. Verse 18. Your wife. Verse 19. They sent him away with his wife. Verse 20. She's described as the woman back in verse 15 when the Egyptians don't know who she is. But now because God intervenes and makes it abundantly clear who she really is. She's Abram's wife. And the word plagues there is used over and over again in Leviticus 13 and in other places to describe skin diseases. And so perhaps what God did here was he he touched Pharaoh and the Egyptians with uh, skin diseases, literally so that they would not touch Sarai, so that her honor is preserved. There can never be any questions in future about any offspring of Sarai. It's interesting, isn't it, how this looks ahead to what will happen in the future when God's people are being kept in Egypt against their will and God intervenes again with plagues to get them out. It's being foreshadowed here in the experience of Abram. But as far as Abram is concerned, friends, here, God's abundant grace is coming through for him again. Here's God rescuing this man who should have known better, who had faltered in his faith. Abram had forgotten God. God did not forget Abram. Abram faltered and God remained faithful. And although God doesn't speak directly to Abram in this passage, I think surely when when Pharaoh spoke to him, Abram heard God's rebuke. If you look at verse 18, what is this you have done? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? How ashamed must Abram have felt in that moment, friends, to be rebuked. And not just rebuked, but rebuked by a pagan. Rebuked by Pharaoh who doesn't even know the Lord. And yet is asking the questions that surely God would have asked of Abram. There's a bit of an echo of the fall here. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden and Uh, There's a lot of parallels with this passage. Eve sees something beautiful and takes it. Pharaoh sees Sarai who is beautiful to him and takes her. And then the accusations come. God came to Adam and says, what have you done? And Pharaoh comes to Abram and says, what have you done? And we're being reminded here of, of of the sinful nature of Abraham. That he by nature is as imperfect as all of us are. And he has to in this instance take a morality lesson from a pagan. And surely also Abram felt a pang of guilt when he saw the plagues God sent on Egypt. Not just guilt that these poor Egyptians are suffering plagues for something they didn't even know what was going on. But guilt more, friends, because he finally realizes in this moment, God can protect and provide for his people any way he wants. The plagues on the Egyptians prove that had Abram stayed in Canaan, God could have provided for him there. He could have fed Abram if only Abram had asked. And so Abram is rebuked by God here. But although he's rebuked, 
He's also reminded of God's gracious faithfulness. We will stumble and falter in our faith, but God always remains faithful. And Abram recognizes that faithfulness in chapter 13, verse 3. Look what he says. Chapter 13, verse 3. He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel. So he's going back to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And, and what did he do? There Abram called upon the name of the Lord. We saw last week when Abram first arrived in Canaan, he marked his travels around the land with worship. He built altars in various places. And those altars were almost certainly, friends, for the purpose of burnt offerings, animal sacrifices being offered up to God. And now Abram leaves Egypt and he goes back to the place of worship, the place where sacrifice is offered to God for sin. And friends, that's where we need to go when we realise that we have faltered in our faith. For us, there is no altar, there's no animal to sacrifice because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has offered up the full and final sacrifice. And so when we have faltered, we return to the cross of Jesus Christ in our our mind's eye, in our hearts, to the place where we know atonement has been made. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. David says, when we fail, go back to the cross. That's where God keeps hold of losers, he says. That's where God keeps hold of losers. That's what we feel like sometimes, isn't it? We realize how foolish we've been. The mistakes that we've made, we feel like Fools and losers were ashamed. And we are foolish and shameful at times. But you see, friends, God's plans will not be undone by our faltering faith. God promised Abram people and place and protection and a program of blessing. And Abram's mistakes weren't going to undo those those promises. God hasn't chosen you this morning because you'll never falter in your faith. He hasn't chosen you because he thinks, look at this impressive person uh, through whom the world can be so impressed and uh, they have such great gifts that I could maybe borrow and use. Every single one of us are flawed and limited weak creatures. He has chosen us, friends, so that his glory and his greatness will be seen through us, even sometimes through our faltering faith. When we're faithless, he remains faithful and he gets the glory. And maybe this morning, you have been faltering along without faith at all. Maybe you've never come to the point of putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ at all. And in a sense, you're, you're a bit like Abraham and, and you're a bit like his descendants many years later, the Israelites who were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And you've been trying to save yourself and you've been trying to just figure it out and I'll work hard and I'll achieve. And I'll get respect and I'll get money and I'll get pleasure. But you know today that you've just made mess after mess and you're enslaved in your sin. Well, come to Christ. Put your trust in him. Jesus Christ also had to go down to Egypt. 
But he didn't go down out of any lack of faith. He went down when he was a little infant, a little baby. And King Herod tried to kill him. Jesus came safely up out of Egypt. And then grew up and lived a life of unfaltering faith in the promises of God. And at the cross, he has made atonement for all of our faltering, all of our mistakes, all of our sin. Abram could not save himself. We cannot save ourselves. But Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Amen.